We're reading from Nehemiah chapter 5, the whole chapter. Uh, So if you want to look it up, this is the time. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, We have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, We've mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, We've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who've had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now... Let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. And repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. 
and I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, O my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. I guess for for every single one of us, Throughout the week, whether we turn on the television and uh, watch the news, I mean, people consume news in very different ways nowadays. Uh, some still watch uh, 24-hour news. Some people just see what's trending on Twitter. Some people just catch uh, stuff online by reading some of the online newspapers. Everybody receives news differently. But one thing is for sure, however we'll look at it, we're likely to come across stories, both local and global, that really break our hearts. And at times, particularly if you're incredibly passionate or you get wound up really easily, you feel like just screaming at the television thinking, this is so unfair, this is so unjust. Trying to pick something non-controversial, the murder of Sarah Everard. Doesn't he make you so incredibly angry thinking, why Does something like this have to happen? This is just so wrong. This is just so unfair. This isn't right. It is unjust. And a mixture of feelings that we have is that of anger and frustration. Because sometimes looking at what is happening in our world whether locally or globally, we feel powerless to do anything about the injustice that we see. And we become so discouraged and brokenhearted about it. Well, this morning, as you listen to the passage that Andrew read to us, this was a story of injustice with a happy ending. But I think there are some incredible lessons that could be very helpful to us as we try to figure out how do we deal with injustice? How do we respond to injustice? If you've been tracking with us so far in the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a Jewish man who's living in a high-ranking position as God's people had been taken into exile. Some of them have returned home and tried to revive and reestablish life uh, through rebuilding the the place of worship, but something remained still unfinished. The walls around Jerusalem that would have been giving them the security to be able to continue to worship and establish their identity as a nation. And here is where Nehemiah is being used by God. He's being called and sent to go and mobilize the people to try to begin to rebuild the walls. And the story is going fairly well so far in the fact that the walls are being rebuilt, but not without hiccups, not without difficulties, not without challenges. And the challenge initially was one that's external. 
the enemies of the Jewish people were really rattled by the building of the new wall and they're beginning to mock them as we looked at last week. And also some internal problems through the people becoming weary of the work. But now there is another hiccup, another difficulty, another hurdle to overcome. And part of it really is spiritual. We were saying right at the beginning of this series that the enemy is always opposed. Satan is always opposed to the building of the kingdom of God. And Satan was opposed to the Jewish people begin to reestablish their worship and become a nation of influence among their neighbors. Satan hated that work. It wasn't just about bricks. It wasn't just about walls. It was about influence. And it was about the glory of God spreading around in the nation of Israel and throughout the surrounding nations. So the enemy is really fighting against it. And therefore, this is the next strategy. Don't, don't mistake this. Satan is incredibly crafty. And when you've won a battle, you haven't won the war. There's still ongoing battles to fight. And this is what we see here. So Nehemiah responding to the, the, the mockery that came from Tobiah and, and Sanballat and Geshem. He, he responds well. He encourages the people to keep on building, encouraging them to pray and be prepared. But now there's another angle. There's another strategy through which Satan comes. And part of it is spiritual. Part of it is human. Because human beings are selfish. And they will use any opportunity to exploit those around them. So it's the combination of the two. And you have a situation that's created in which there are three types of people that are unhappy. And the great thing, and this is the first point, is that Nehemiah sees the problem. Nehemiah sees the problem. And this is very significant. Because so very often, leaders are blind to the problem. Sometimes they genuinely can't see it. And other times, they don't want to see it. So it's so significant in dealing with this act of injustice that Nehemiah sees the problem. And he realizes that there are three types of people there who are, are crying out and are reacting to, to the situation. And you can see it in verses 1 to 7. As the people, men and their wives, raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. They raised a great outcry. So this wasn't a silent hunger strike. This wasn't just an act of writing something on social media, being upset. This was probably a public gathering that was visible and audible of people who were not happy. This was a demonstration. This was the beginning of a revolution. Those people were not happy. And it, it, it had an intensity to it. A great outcry. I don't know if you had a chance to, 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 to see Jewish weddings or even Jewish funerals. The display of emotion from people is deep. And this was a deep display of emotion. This was showing what was on the inside. This deep pain, this deep sense of injustice. And the great thing is that Nehemiah sees and hears this great outcry. And there's three groups. One group is saying, we haven't got enough resources. We're going to die of hunger. 
Another group is saying, look, we've mortgaged our lands, uh, our, our land and our vineyards, and we still don't have enough. And a third group is saying, we've even, because of interest, we, we've even had to sell our sons and daughters almost into slavery to our brothers, to our fellow brothers. So there's a big problem with different variations that actually was centered on economic exploitation that was so unjust. And this had an effect on the families. Imagine what it would have been to live next door to somebody and your sons and daughters, you have to sell them into slavery to them just simply because they they are richer and demanding more interest than you. Is that fair? Is that just? Does it seem like the right thing? And families would have been broken hearted about it. But Nehemiah hears this great outcry that he talks about. And if you look at the way he reacts to, 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 to the problem, really, he, first of all, it says, in, in, as you look at his reaction, he takes time to, to see and hear what is happening. And in verse 6, he says, when I heard their outcry and discharges, he was very attentive to this. He didn't just pretend it wasn't there because this was uncomfortable. He was amongst the people. There's nothing worse than aloof leaders. They don't have the pulse of the nation that they're leading. It's a horrendous situation when they are out of touch and unwilling to hear and see. So he sees and hears what is happening. And then it says in verse 7, I pondered them in my mind. And before that, he says, I was very angry. So when he gets the information, he sees what the problem is. His reaction is both emotional and mental. First of all, it's emotional. I was very angry. So he shares in the anger of the people of the injustice. He's saying, I get it. I see it. And I am angry too. This is wrong. But he doesn't stop there. So it's not just a, an age of outrage like we're, we're living in right now where people are very easily getting angry and then that's it. But it takes time to think about it. He says he pondered them in his mind and then accused the nobles and official and I told them. So he takes time to think about it. Okay, I've seen it. I'm angry about it. I'm going to think about it. And then he addresses it. He speaks into the issue. It's because he sees the problem. And a good leader would always do something like that, addressing this issue. See, this would have been incredibly serious. One, as a group, this could have led, best case scenario, to the work being paused. Because people were just falling out with each other and saying, I'm not going to work anymore. This is it. I'm done. Worst case scenario, people would have just said, I've had enough. I'm scooting off back into exile. I'm I'm done with this. I'm done with my Jewish brothers. I've had enough. Have you ever been in a situation like that when somebody's been ticking you off in church and saying, I've had enough with this church. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go somewhere else. They could have done that. And they probably could have been justified because of the injustice that was there. And the other reason why this is serious is because this is breaking God's word. 
Deuteronomy 23, 19 to 20. This is what he's saying, what God has given in the law. If you loan your fellow Israelites money or food or anything else, don't make them pay back more than you loan them. You may charge foreigners, but not fellow Israelites. Then the Lord your God will bless everything you do in the land you're entering to take as your own. See, God had a just ethical economical system in place for the Jewish people. They were not meant to take interest from their own fellow Israelites. So actually what is happening here is break. It's not just unjust economically. This is wrong theologically. This is against God's law and against God's heart. And Nehemiah sees the problem. See, Israel had this beautiful built-in economic ethics. You remember the year of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee was in order to balance the economic system in Israel so that the rich would not get richer and the poor getting poorer. And in the 50th year, all the debts would be uh, forgiven. Land would be restored to the original owners and all the servants would be set free. Because that's the heart of God. And in an amazing way, there is a real good leadership here from Nehemiah because he sees this problem. But then the other thing that's really important is that he suggests a solution. There's nothing, nothing worse than seeing a problem without suggesting a solution. And all of you who are married or all of you who have got parents or all of you who have got children or all of you who have ever been into work, you would have been in that situation where somebody comes up to you and they'll criticize you and they'll take you to task, but it never, ever, ever offer any, any constructive solutions to it. And you're kind of thinking, oh, this just saps you of energy and emotion and everything else. Nehemiah isn't like that. He, he sees the problem, but he also suggests a solution. And he speaks, verses 7 to 13, he speaks to them and he's saying to them, I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said to them, as far as is possible, we have brought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, Nehemiah says, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers... And my men are also lending people money and grain. But let the extracting of usury or taking of interest stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olives, olive groves and houses and all the interest that you are charging them. The hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine and oil. So he has this meeting with the concerned people and he lays it on them. And he basically said, You've got to stop. This is wrong. And when he tries to convince them why it's wrong, he doesn't just say, this is wrong because Nehemiah says it's wrong. Or this is wrong because the people are crying out. No, no, no. He says, this, shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? So he's saying to them, look, this is a vertical problem. This is about your relationship with God. You are breaking God's law and God's heart. 
And this is a spiritual problem. And the other angle, he's saying to them, this is a problem, not because Nehemiah says so or because people are crying out, but because this will bring reproach from the Gentiles around us. We are meant to be a nation that's distinct, different. And now you've become just like them. And they're going to point the finger and they will say, like they say to us many times, often rightfully so, if this is what it means to be a Christian, well, thank you very much. I'd rather have none of it. So Nehemiah is saying, you've got to look vertically to, to your relationship with God and live in fear of God and respect his law. And also you've got to look at the witness and the testimony that you're bringing to the people around you. And he's very practical. And he says to them, look, you've got to stop. So there's no negotiation. There's no like, do you know what? We're going to do this decreasingly. So in two years' time, you know, climate change and all that kind of stuff. In two years' time, we're going to reduce this. You know, in, in five years, you can stop charging 50% interest. And you're only allowed to do 25%. No, he's saying stop. Stop right now. This is what repentance is about. You've got to stop right now. So there's a sense in which that there's, there's a negative. You've got to stop. And there's the positive, you've got to pay back some of the stuff that you've taken. That's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. Where when he encounters Jesus, he realizes, I can't keep on exploiting other people. And I've got to change my heart. Because Jesus changes us, not just by saying no to the wrong thing, but starting to do the right thing. And becoming generous. And doing things right. And Nehemiah gives him this clear suggestion of a solution. You've got to do this. And I love the way they respond in this. It's encouraging. It says, at this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. This is beautiful to the pastor's ears. Whenever you preach and you bring God's word, sometimes a challenging word to hear this. To find a people with soft, convictable hearts. It isn't because Nehemiah said so. It isn't because people are crying. It is because God asks for it. And God wants the best for his people. And they have these convictable hearts. And there's the urgency. They don't say, oh, let us think about it. Let us just form a committee. Let, let, let's get a task group put together. And then we'll analyze your suggestion, Nehemiah. No. These men, these people have convictable hearts and they respond straight away, full on. And it's a spiritual response. They say, amen. And they praise the Lord. This is not about a human program. This is not about social justice. This is a spiritual matter that is close to the heart of God. About doing the right thing according to what God has said. And then the third thing is Nehemiah continues... I think Nehemiah could only do that. He could only challenge the people and, and speak to them because he sets an example. And if you look at verses 14 to 19, Nehemiah takes time. This is probably an extract from Nehemiah's diary. And he, he takes time to explain his own attitude. I love his honesty. He admitted that he himself was lending to people. So obviously he would have been a very wealthy man. But he was very clear. He wasn't lending for profit. So he's really honest about this. And there's an integrity. But also there's an integrity because he talks about the allowance that he should have had. 
as the, 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 probably the in facto governor of the province, and he's saying, I took none of it. It's almost as if he could have put on an extra tax on the people in order to entertain himself and live a lavish lifestyle. And Nehemiah is saying, I didn't do any of that, not for myself, not for my nobles. And on top of that, he talks about the generosity. Look at verse 17. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nation. Each day, not good for vegetarians this, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. This man set an example. An example of integrity. So he didn't charge interest. He kept the scriptural demands of the law. Also, he didn't put an extra burden on the people in order to fulfill his desire to live a lavish lifestyle. And thirdly, actually, he flipped it the other way. And instead of grabbing, he was giving. He lived this generous lifestyle. And through that, he set an example. And all of this... It says in verse 15, in the second part of verse 15, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. He did it because this was his worship. This was his life lived for the audience of one. So he made that choice to live in integrity because God was watching and he wanted to please God. Above all. And I think that's why he could address the issue because he had the integrity. There's nothing wrong with standing up and addressing an issue as a leader, but you've got to back it up with integrity. I mean, it's going to be, I'm not scoring political points. I'm probably going to get an email about it, but I'm telling you, I'm not scoring political points. But it'd be a little bit, you know, funny if today in an interview, Boris Johnson says, Every person that goes into a hospital and doesn't wear a mask should spend three days in prison. It'd be hypocritical because he didn't wear a mask, you know, when he went into the hospital. And there's this hypocrisy in, in, in all of our lives. But I think this is a particular call for us to watch our own lives and our relationship with God. As Nehemiah did, choosing worship and a life for the audience of one. See... Our integrity can be either a powerful testimony that backs up what we want to do as leaders or a severe hindrance to what we're trying to do. Because so very often our actions speak louder than our words. And the two need to match. And for Nehemiah, they did because he sets an example. So where does this leave us this morning? And I think there are several challenges that are coming. And the first one, I think, is a salvation challenge. Listen, I really believe that Nehemiah could live this life where he was willing to tackle injustice in this situation. And he was living as an example because he has a relationship with God. And I want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and as your King, you cannot, however good-hearted you are, you cannot live a selfless life. Because there's this spiritual gravitational pull that is always about me. It's always about self. It's always about greed. It's always about pride. That comes natural 
if we don't have Jesus in our lives. And I want to say this morning, if your longing is to be somebody who is filled with a heart of justice, a heart that God has for those around you, if you want to play a role and have an impact in the lives of others around you, you cannot do that unless you surrender your life to Jesus. And unless Jesus comes and takes residence in your life through his Holy Spirit and begins to live his life through your life and my life. So if you want that, I want to invite you and encourage you to respond and let Jesus come and be your king. And maybe the best way you can do that at the end of the service, go and, and, and join somebody in the prayer team and say, I want to make Jesus my savior and my king because I want to live this different life. I don't want to be living selfishly. So that's the salvation challenge. The other one is a lifestyle challenge. We live in, in, in a day and Black Friday is coming on. My word. You know, if you should see Mama Merg's reaction whenever she sees an advert for Black Friday, it's like Satan comes on the screen. You know. And it's all about greed. We are fed greed through every possible channel in our culture. And living the life of Jesus, living the life of the kingdom of God is an alternative. It's actually a counter life. It's a totally different life. And we are called by God to be those kind of people that cultivate integrity and generosity like Nehemiah in our day-to-day lifestyle. It isn't about the big projects. It isn't about giving to charity. It isn't about giving to a special cause. It is about living in our daily lives, in our way of spending money in our home, in our way of working at work with integrity and with generosity. In day-to-day, it's a lifestyle that we cultivate. That's, that's what Nehemiah did. He had a lifestyle of integrity and generosity. And therefore, he was able to lead a life that was pleasing to God. That's what it should be said about Christians. This is me. I, I never forget my dad telling me he was uh, leading a small team of about uh, 15 to 20 people. And whenever the, the, the team leaders were choosing their teams in the factory, they, all the team leaders were fighting to get the repented in their team. The repented was a mock name for evangelical born-again Christians, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And, and they were mocked all the time. But interestingly enough, when the team leaders wanted to get a, a new member of their team, that's who they wanted. Why? Because they were punctual. They weren't stealing. They were doing their work with the very best of their ability. They were not gossips. They were not liars. They were generous people. They were kind people. They were people that would go the extra mile. That was the reputation. That should be us. This is how people should look at us. I mean, they might look at us and say, he's a bit of a mug, he's a bit of a fool because he gets taken for a ride. But my word, he's a trustworthy, loving, honest kind, truthful person. And that's the lifestyle challenge. Next one is the relational challenge. And there's a little angle I want to bring on this. You see, I I, I think certainly it isn't necessarily an issue for a lot of us that we are financially exploiting other people 
close to us in our family or in the church or in the community in our lives. Not financially. I don't think many of us are in a situation like that where we're lending people money and then we're kind of asking for, 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 for a huge sort of sum to be paid back as interest. But I think there's another angle that is relational, not financial. I think there is a sense in which relationally we can do that. Just track with me. Where we are actually asking of people so much time and emotion and energy and actually using people in order to serve our own purposes selfishly. It might not be money, but it could be emotion, time, energy. And we're just using people. And it's wrong. Again, the culture which we're living in is breeding consumerism. Consumerism is saying, get what you want, when you want, the way you want it. And we're beginning to apply that even in our community life, where everything is about me, and everything is about my needs, and everything is about my problems, and everything is about my desires, and everything is about me, 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 me. And the kingdom of Jesus is an upside-down kingdom where it's not me on top, but he is on top. And it's not me on top, but it's actually others next to Jesus on top. Where I'm not coming to church and I'm not belonging to the community of faith to make it all about me, but I'm actually coming to serve others and like Jesus, to lay down my life to serve others. You would remember when Jesus was spending time with the disciples in a crucial time in his life, and he picked up the basin and the towel to wash the disciples' feet. That's the picture of what it's like to live in the Christian community. Let me tell you, Jesus was not a consumer. And he's teaching us the same, to be people who lay down their lives, sacrificially, painfully, costly, in order to serve others and not take advantage of others. And last but not least, it's a very obvious one that is in the text. It's an outreach challenge. Listen, if we are in the business of working alongside God in rebuilding broken lives, which, is, which are the series in Nehemiah is about, if, if God is using us to, in the most unpatronizing way, and non-condescending way, come alongside others that live in brokenness, in sin, in, in, in difficulties, in a messed life, in order to rebuild them, because this is what we believe God is calling us. We cannot do that if we're not willing to speak against injustice at the right times. And we are not able to do that unless we're willing to model something ourselves that has that integrity. Otherwise, we will never have a voice in our world. We will never have a voice in our local community. If we are part of that problem and we are silent about the problem, we will lose that sense of anointing that Nehemiah had on his life. He lived as an example and he spoke up and he dealt with something that was unjust. And in our missional challenge, in our outreach challenge, we need to do the same thing. To be able to speak out at the right time and live out what it means to serve God and please Him. So much talk at the moment in the polarization of the world we live in. So much talk about controversial issues like social justice, climate change, race relations, sexuality. 
so much talk and so much polarization. But I'm challenging us with everything within my being to try to not become prisoners of the political conversation, either to the left or the right, the extreme left or the extreme right, or the middle left or the middle right, and begin to embrace the politics of the kingdom of God. Satan's strategy is to divide and destroy the body of Christ. And he's been doing in the last five or six years that incredibly successfully. And it feels like in the pandemic, Satan just put his foot on the accelerator. Whether it's masks, whether it's vaccines, we're beginning as God's people to get involved in talking about things that are not here. And in the meantime, we ignore what's here. And my invitation for us is to come around to the politics of the kingdom of God that is found in this word. Because Satan is destroying us. That's the attack that's on the church right now. I don't want to fall out whether you want to wear a mask or whether you don't want to wear a mask. I was writing to somebody this week, I love you all with all my heart. Let's not make that divisive factor because we're playing into the hands of Satan. Instead, let's begin to look at what God is saying about justice in his word. Not what politicians, not what black lives matter, not what a conservative government, but what is God's word saying? And we live according to God's word. And I'm telling you, if we do that, we get in the uncomfortable middle. The kingdom of God will always live in the uncomfortable middle and we'll get stoned by both sides. Because we don't fit. If we follow Jesus, we don't fit into the left and we don't fit into the right. So my plea for us is to embrace the heart of God for justice as it's revealed in his word. Let's be the people of the kingdom of God. As the band is coming up, I'm going to finish with these beautiful words from the prophet Micah. This, my brothers and sisters, is our calling. This is the politics of the kingdom of God. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We are his and his plans are great. Let's surrender ourselves to become tools in his hands. That as he continues to change us. There'll be an overflow of this politics of the kingdom of God that's found in Scripture that will see restoration of life. Those dismissed being seen by God. Those broken by selfish attitudes and selfish acts being lifted up and healed up by the grace of Jesus. Me and you. We are his people, and he's calling us to serve him. Let's stand as we respond.